Whatever the case may be, we are so thankful that you are here. So let, let's, let's, get to, let's get to business. Uh, if you're new to this, this is the Wednesday Bible Study. We are located, if you're watching or if you're listening and just have an interest on in where we're located, uh, it is the Broadcast Plaza and Teleport, uh, home of the Rick and Bubba Show. Uh, I'm co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show uh, and also director of themanchurch.com, uh, which is a men's hub for discipleship uh, and discipleship strategy. Uh, we kicked that off two years ago, and uh, some some information to let you know how it's going. We, we're, we're at about 220-plus churches uh, now that have implemented or are about to implement the men's discipleship strategy from themanchurch.com all over the country. Uh, and if you would like to know just the men's ministry stuff, and that's it, I just want to know uh, where there are churches that are doing man churches so I can go and get into the system or my church would like to come see the system. Here's some opportunities for you to do that. Now, you can go to themanchurch.com, click on events, and you'll see it listed uh, when there's man church services coming up. So here's what's coming up uh, if you are listening to us or watching us uh, uh, today, which would be the 14th of July, 2021. So um, I do have an opportunity tomorrow night, to, uh, even though you're not going to find that on any website because it's kind of an invitation only, but I'm going to Philadelphia, Mississippi. We've got an entire association of churches that uh, pastors that are coming out, they're bringing men from their church. I'm going to be presenting to them what we do, why we do it, and giving them kind of a, a message, kind of a charge. So pray about that. That's going on actually tomorrow night, uh, the 15th, in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Now the things you can actually attend uh, if you want to. Uh, coming up on the 18th of July, this Sunday night, I'll be at, uh, in Orange Beach, Alabama. Uh, you know, people are, are lost in beautiful places. I mean, you, it, you know, you, you don't have to go... I mean, there's some rough places and there's some beautiful places, but people still need it. So uh, I will sacrifice and go to Orange Beach, Alabama. On Sunday night, I'll be with the folks at United Methodist Church. They are kicking off the men's discipleship strategy. You are invited to be at that man church if you're in the area. Also on that very same night, Mark Garnett uh, will be going to Warrior, Alabama. He'll be speaking at Crossroads Church. Now, Crossroads, they've already started the discipleship strategy. I've already been there, and... Uh, and they're, they're rolling through it, and this is their next man church because our, our strategy features two things. High challenge, uh, which, you know, men's ministry has always done pretty well. Uh, and then, but, but what we're adding that has been missing, frankly, is the high equipping. So, so four times a year, three to four times a year, each church is doing different. You get into some high challenge situations. That's what these man churches are. Then you get into the high equipping, which are the curriculums that we offer. We have two 40-week curriculums now. Uh, and you can pick the one that uh, you'd like to start with, uh, and we're going to continue to add those curriculums every year as we go. So we'll have a nice library for you. Uh, all right, so then on the 22nd of July, Rich Wingo. Rich Wingo, one of our speakers, will be going to Journey Church in Laurel, Mississippi. They, too, are already going through the curriculum. So I think this is Man Church 3 for them. Uh, Rich Wingo will be their speaker uh, coming up on the 22nd of July, and you are welcome to join them as well. Uh, I'll be going to First Baptist Church, Decatur, Alabama. Uh, they actually started the curriculum, uh, but because of the pandemic, never could get a man church. We're finally going to have one, and I'm honored to be there on the 24th of July in Decatur, Alabama. Uh, and then we'll do man church on Saturday night, then I'll also speak to the entire congregation coming up on Sunday morning. So I'm excited about that in Decatur, Alabama. Uh, also, uh, uh, August 6th coming up, Mount Zion Baptist Church, Huntsville, Alabama. I'll be there for Man Church uh, in their men's event. They're kind of tying a few things together. On the 12th of August, I'll be at First Baptist Church in Athens, Alabama, then kicking off uh, the men's discipleship strategy there. August 13th, Rich Wingo will be at Westview Baptist Church in Op, Alabama. They, too, are doing the strategy. This is one of their Man Church services. I've been there. Now Rich will come and challenge those men as they go into the next phase of the curriculum. And then August 14th, is a little bit different because it's my wife and I together for a marriage conference in Pensacola, Alabama. I just heard from Olive Baptist, I mean today, that they're almost full. They're almost out of room. So if you're a couple and you'd like to attend that, uh, you need to make a move. Now, you'll find that one by going to BurgessMinistries.com and just look at August 14th, click on that link, and you get a ticket. Uh, Sherry and I will do two sessions on Saturday the 14th, and then that night we'll all enjoy Shane and Shane in concert together as husbands and wives as we uh, spend the weekend in Pensacola applying the things that we talked about. So there's some stuff that you uh, can, can consume and be part of. There's more, and you can find those dates at themanchurch.com 
or BurgessMinistries.com. Uh, let's open up in a word of prayer. Um, I, I do want to remind some of you around the country before we go to prayer, Promise Keepers is back. Did y'all know that? Promise Keepers is back. We're going to start trying to work with them to provide that part that, frankly, they, they didn't provide last time and, and they want to provide this time, and that's that equipping part. But as far as the big conference, a Promise Keepers conference, uh, I've done an online marriage conference with them, uh, but they're, they're back in the room, and they're going to be in Jerry World uh, there with the Dallas Cowboys play. Uh, they just got approval that they can have as many men in there as they want. Uh, they've limited to them to 24,000. I think they got those sold, but now they've opened up the rest of, of Jerry World, the arena, for them to be there. So if you would like to go to the Promise Keepers event, and I mean, they got all kinds of folks coming to speak at that, some, some big names, uh, and you remember how well uh, Promise Keepers events were in the past. Uh, they expect to do that and more now. Uh, so if you'd like to be part of that, uh, just find those that information by going to Promise Keepers, and you'll see tickets are available for that event coming up this weekend in Texas. All right, so let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you uh, for today. Thank you for the opportunity to jump into your word. Uh, and today we, we, we want to continue to apply these principles that you say should be found in anyone who claims to be your disciple. Uh, this call to, to be your disciple, is, 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 it's, not, it's not a subtle call. It's, it's, not, uh, uh, it's not an inch deep, mile wide. It, it is a deep, uh, submissive, um, uh, it, it is going to cost us our sin. Uh, and, and it also involves a lot of things that we need to, to move on, uh, that, that faith in action. Help us to learn more about that today. Uh, in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. So let's go to where we are. This is session four of this new series. Uh, we, we provide these also at themanchurch.com. These are individual resources. I told you about the things we provide for churches and for groups. These are individual resources, and we have lots of them from third parties, but these the one we're studying right now is a series called How to Be a Man because we also have resources that come from the writers and the speakers uh, that make up Team Man Church. Um, this one has eight different men uh, who have written uh, in this 40-day devotional. We're unpacking it in over eight weeks, but if you go through the devotional, uh, it's 40 days, and then these usually grow up to become 40-week uh, curriculums, and this one will, uh, will probably be our third curriculum. It's called Discovering What It Means to Be a Disciple. Now, here's some things we've already covered that you can find in our archives in this series. So disciples have been transformed by Christ. Uh, we, we took that, and we, we, we did that on week one. Week two, disciples surrender to a gospel-centered life. We talked about that in, in, in week two. And in week three, disciples hunger to know God. That's the one that we did last Wednesday. And then today, uh, we will be doing disciples' desire to worship God. Uh, if you're looking to the guys that, that wrote uh, in, in the actual devotional, and I'm pulling out the scriptures and kind of doing some, some, some diving a little deeper on it here in our Bible study, but you don't want to miss the things that they talked about by getting your own copy of the devotional because the first week was Andy Blanks, second week was Rich Wingo, last week was Chad Poe, and today Eric Ballard uh, wrote this, uh, the, the, these five days, uh, in the 40-week devotional. So we'll, we'll, we'll reference some of the things that Eric said, but more importantly, we're going to jump into the scriptures that talk to us. So what is worship? Uh, worship is one of these things. I, as a matter of fact, I just had a chance to to talk to a man that uh, that honored me with the opportunity to speak into his life, and and we were talking about this concept, and and he was struggling with like like I did in my own life. Is uh, is it important? I mean, I can I is it make me any more Christian or less a Christian? And uh, uh, if I'm if I'm going to worship on a regular basis with other people, is that a big deal or not? Of course, it is a big deal. Uh, why? Because Scripture says it's a big deal. Uh, and to his credit, he, he listened to the things that Scripture said, uh, and uh, I saw him uh, going to a corporate worship um, uh, the very next week. And so, I, so, so we had some discussion about this. He was a lot like me. I remember saying that whole thing, you don't really have to go to any kind of gathering or some official church group uh, to be a Christian. And, of course, I was corrected by the pastor that was used by God to save my life, saying, well, people don't enter into corporate worship to become a Christian, they enter into corporate worship because they are one. Uh, so in this case, we would say people don't become a disciple of Jesus by going to corporate worship, but a disciple of Jesus would do that, uh, meaning that would be part of being a disciple. It's more of a, a marker that you are a disciple. So worship is, is our response uh, to God, 
and, uh, and, and so that's the thing we have to think about. What is this? It, it, is a, it is a response. If you see throughout Scripture, when people truly encounter God for who He is, not some made-up version, not some big man upstairs, you've heard me go off on that, uh, because I used to say those ridiculous things. But but if you look at in Scripture, anytime someone truly encounters God, and this is important, worship happens without them even doing anything about it. They can't help it. Uh, e- either they cower in fear and, 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 and begin to start trying to cry out, woe is me, or their response is to what? Is to begin to worship because, because of how wonderful he really is. So it's our response to him. So if we have a warped version of him, then our worship is also warped because we're not worshiping the right thing or we have no desire to worship it. I'm going to tell you this. If you don't have any desire to worship God, then you don't know him. I mean, this goes all the way back to that, uh, that 25-week series we did, Knowing God. To know God is to, to worship him. You know, To know God is to obey him. Uh, to know God is to love him, and to love him is to obey him. So, and we've got some of that here. But here's the problem that we have, which is why this is also a marker of redemption. We don't come into the world as disciples. We don't. Uh, the psalmist tells us, and you can imagine with us talking about worship this week, we're going to be in the psalms a lot. Uh, psalms 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth into iniquity, and into sin did my mother conceive me. So, so we do not arrive here in this fallen creation and, and the seed of Adam, we don't arrive here a disciple. This, something's gotta, this has got to be changed about us. Uh, so the, the, the psalmist is clear on that. So uh, notice this, because we start out, if, if you've truly been redeemed, that means you, you, you encountered you know, God's holiness uh, and, and, and realized our sinfulness, and, and there was something that took place to the power of the Holy Spirit that drew you to God, and, either, and then you hopefully repented of sin, as I, as, as I, I, I finally did at, at age 30, uh, and then you repent of your sin, you acknowledge Him as Lord, as it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Uh, you, you, you confess this with your mouth publicly. Uh, you, you let the world know that you will now become a disciple of Christ. And then this process of sanctification begins. You've been justified through, the, through, the, the, through your repentance, sincerity of your heart. Uh, you, you, have been, you have been redeemed by grace through faith. You've taken faith off self. You've put it on, on Christ. You've submitted to his authority. Now you follow him, and now you're becoming his disciple. Well, at that point, you don't know anything. At that point, you, it, we, now we start the sanctification process. So listen to the psalmist when, when talking about this uh, in, in Psalms 136. So, so write that down, Psalms 136, or turn to it if you have a Bible, uh, and we'll look at verse 1 through 3. And I always thought this was funny, and, and uh, of course Eric talks about this in some of his commentary in the devotional. Here's what the psalmist says. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So what is verse 2? Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. What is verse 3? Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sounds repetitive, doesn't it? Well, there, there's a reason for that. Uh, how, how, do, how do we learn something? Reps. Right? I mean, until it becomes natural to us. Our worship of God does not come natural to us in the beginning. We, we may be in awe of him, praise his holy name. We may, we, we may, be, we may be convicted by him, praise his holy name. Uh, we, we may realize that we're entering into something that's bigger than us, praise his holy name. But learning about him actually takes time. It actually takes, takes our what? He says, seek me and you'll find me. We talked about this last week. So what he's saying is, I want to go over in my mind the things that I'm learning about the Lord. I've, lore, I've learned that the Lord is good. Why is he good? Well, he, he's gracious enough to forgive me. He, he, he didn't say to me, you blew it and there's nothing you can do about it. No, I offer you redemption so the Lord is good for his steadfast love, meaning he did, once, he, once I've been redeemed, I'm now entered into his love. And what he says is once I enter into his love, that love that he has shown me will endure forever. Then he comes back and he says, all right, so I, I, I know that he's good. 
Now let me come back and say, let me give thanks to the God of gods. He's it. There are no gods bigger than him. He's the one and only living God. He is the God even above any God I ever thought of before. You know what he says second? And his steadfast love endures forever. Then the next thing he thinks of is give thanks to the Lord of all the lords. He, you can almost see the psalmist saying, I'm learning about him. And the more I learn about him, the more I understand him, the more I want to worship him. So to say that it, it, it's impossible for any of us to say, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think about the Lord all the time, and, and I seek him, and I spend time getting to know him. I, re- I, I get in his word, and I wallow, and I, and I spend time there. But I just have to tell you, what, the more I know about God, the less I want to worship him. He, he, I just have had no response to this. Well, see, that, that's impossible, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. When we truly know God, and I know this gets back to the, the series of knowing God, but it needs to be. When we know God, the response is always worship. Always worship. So that's why we say that a disciple of Christ will be someone who worships God. He can't help it. That, that's part of, now that's part of his DNA. That, that's his response. And you see the psalmist doing that. All right, let's stay in Psalms. Now let's go over to uh, back, back a little bit to Psalms 103. So in Psalms 103, we find uh, another aspect of, of what, kind of, what, what worship is like for a disciple, since a disciple will also have, have a desire to worship God. Now this is a, a psalm of David. Uh, we know that because Scripture tells us this one. This is one we can identify. So in Psalms 103, verses 1 through 2, what do we learn about worship here? Here, David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. How many of you can read that without singing it? Bless, All right. Bless the Lord. You, this is one of the things when, I was, when I've been going in the process of, of, of studying the Bible and through the, now my, my ongoing sanctification, how many times I'll get into a psalm and go, oh, that's where that hymn comes from. Uh, so I'd always, most of the time I'd heard the hymn before I'd ever read the psalm. I'm embarrassed to say that, but it's true. So anyway, so, so bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So, so we should, what, what, what is the psalmist saying to us here? What's David saying about worship here? He's saying that we should be fully engaged with all of our innermost being. Worship is not a burden. Worship is not checking a list. Worship is not a ritual uh, that we begrudgingly do, or it's become such a ritual to us, we don't even make a big deal about it. Yeah, got to check that list, got that done. I did this ritual. I lit that candle. I, I, you know, I, I, I did some signs on my body. Uh, you know, I hopped on one foot. Uh, you know, I walked over, you know, to something and touched it. You know, all, all this ridiculous stuff. That, that, that's not worship. Worship is when we think in everything we are. Now, be careful. I'm, I'm, I'm just a caution flag. Yes, we, we can get emotional about worship because that is part of who we are. But be careful because our emotions is the weakest part of who we are. That's important for you to know that. Sometimes your emotions can get away from you and you leave genuine worship, and now you've kind of turned it into a spectacle. Okay, so it, it, it's, um, we do express our feelings, but our emotions, even in worship, our emotions should be appropriately applied. Everybody with me? So, so, so be careful of that because if, you know, uh, like I'll, I'll tell you this. This is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. And this is kind of where that ritual and emotion things I'm talking about. We got to come off this thing where anybody thinks, that there is a, a human standard for what we deem to be someone truly worshipful. I can't stand this stuff. How come you don't have your hands up? Well, you know what? I, you know when my hands go up? When my spirit prompts me to raise them. But I can tell you something. I've been just as in the presence of God and been just as moved by who he is when I've stood there and done nothing. When I'm just solemn. When I'm just reverent. And I'm not worrying about how I'm supposed to look 
trying to bring attention to me. So be careful that we don't get all emotional about it because we want to entertain everybody else in the congregation. Now, I'm not, I do raise my hands, but I don't raise my hands every second. I don't sit there and go, and hey, now time to raise my hands. The song's starting, I get my hands up. No, what happens is my hands go up when I'm moved by what's going on. When God, when God prompts me to a response I can't stop, that's when my hands go up. Now, I don't, I don't put my hands up because I want to be seen, and I don't, put my hand, I don't refuse to put my hands up because I'm too embarrassed to do it. I don't worry about being you know, my comfort with other human beings. What I'm, what I'm trying to focus on is worshiping the only, the only thing in this room that is worthy of worship. He is the only thing worthy of worship. I honestly couldn't care less what all the other people are doing. But, but I am responding to him. And so I, I, and, and it, it just needs to be a true response to him, not a methodical, mechanical, calculated, my hands go up, my hands go down. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to put a grimace on my face or, or something like that. That's when your emotions are out of hand and they're not being applied appropriately. It's got to be sincere. Let me just tell you this straight up. Don't patronize God. I don't like to, I don't like, you know, we, we're living in a world right now that patronizing people just seems to be, that's how I check my list off. I said something about you I didn't really mean, but I made you feel like I'm in it and I'm moving on. You know, if I say this patronizing thing, will you leave me alone? Will you, will you, will you, will you not say something mean about me if I patronize you? Let me tell you who we don't patronize. You don't patronize the great I am. So sincere worship can certainly include emotions, but they must be applied appropriately. It can't be all about emotions. It has to be a genuine, I love what, it, what, what David keeps saying here. He keeps saying, bless the Lord on my soul and all that is within me. You know what that also means? There's not a part of us that we wall off to God. All of us, everything about us should be worshiping him. And we should all be worshiping him appropriately. Bless the Lord on my soul and forget not all his benefits. If you can't, let me tell you this, if, there's, if you're a redeemed person and you say, you know, I just don't know, I'm not really comfortable worship, I don't really know how to do it. If you can't start from the place of thankfulness, I, I have a strong feeling, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe, maybe you're so stoic, but I know about me. If I was thinking, if I, if I every week had kept encountering the person, okay, let's say it's a person. If every week I kept encountering this person who had saved my life, I mean, I was dead. And without this person, I would be dead. And my wife wouldn't have me. My children wouldn't have me. And every time I saw that person, I just think every single time I would walk up to him, hug him, and say, I just want to say thank you. I would never stop saying thank you. He may even say, not necessary anymore, and I would say, it's uncontrollable. I can't help but thank you. So can you not just start there? Are you not thankful to God? And if you're not thankful, because one time I wasn't thankful, it's because we don't really understand what he did. We don't fully understand it. Uh, and so remember that we must worship him with all of our innermost being, including emotions, but emotions must be kept in check. Not that we're not emotional. We just be sure we're applying that emotion correctly. It needs to be sincere. Uh, so now let's turn, turn to Psalms 43. I told you we say in Psalms a lot. Uh, let's go to Psalms 43. Psalms 43 talking about worship because a disciple would have a desire to worship. And, and on this particular one, we need to talk about worship shouldn't be something that we grin and bear. I touched on that a little bit. But this should be something that we joyfully do. I hope. As you grow in your faith, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, I know it's been a process for me. I'm going to tell you straight up, when I was a child, I went to church and because my mom and daddy made me. Uh, when I was a teenager, I went to church because my mom and daddy still paid the bills. And when I became a young adult, I didn't go to church because it was up to me and I didn't want to go. I didn't go. I don't know if there was maybe just a little bit of something that, which is bizarre to look on that evil man and say, well, that's one thing about him you got to kind of appreciate. I do believe that I wasn't going to fake it. 
I do believe that I didn't go into the church because I knew what they were going to say and I knew the things they were going to say about God because I had known them as a child and I knew I was in conflict with that and I really didn't want to hear it. One of the reasons why I didn't go to church is because I knew what they were going to say. <laughs> I knew that much about it. And I knew enough about what they were going to say that I didn't want to be in there because they were going to say things that were in conflict with what I was doing. And at that time, I would rather be in sin than to go there and hear this, all this stuff about God. I, I almost thought, well, the, 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 the less I know about him, the easier he'll be to sin against. Which, by the way, isn't that true? So, so now, and then when, then when Sherry and I were married and we were redeemed, I'll be honest with you about this. I started going to church because I knew that someone who'd been redeemed should go to church. Now, was I the one that got us up joyfully in the house and said, let's get ready to go to church? No. In the early days, Sherry did that. I went, but I was the last one out the door uh, because, you know, I'd been getting up early all week. People don't know what I've been through, you know, because taking care of these small children, take care of this house, there's nothing to that. You know, my, me, me goofing off at the show is the hard work, you know. And so and so, I need to, I need to be the last one out. I got to sleep the longest. So, so God convicted me of that, he convicted me of this, this part of what we're talking about. And God convicted me and says, your family, your children, don't buy all this. And I was like, well, you know, I've, I've been redeemed, right? You know, I, I'm saying the right things, doing the right things, not living the way I was living completely. No. In some areas of my life I still am, but the stuff everybody can see I'm not. And, uh, and God says, Every, the, the, your children think that you are patronizing and going along with your wife. She's the one that wants to go, so you go not to upset her, and these children don't know if you're the real deal. Bottom line. They don't see joy, they don't see excitement, they see obligation. And they think their mama is into this and you're just going along with it. Wow. Uh, so I thought to myself, how do you fix that? Well, here's the concept. I started thinking about what we were doing and I started realizing that, I, that it, it was worthy of being joyful about. Uh, and I told my wife, I said, uh, I, I have been convicted and I want you to know that I will be the one, the first person the children see every Sunday morning. Uh, I will be at their door. I will get them up, and I will, with, with joy, and say it is time for us to go to the house of the Lord and give him worship. And that's what they're going to see from now on. And it was a game changer. Uh, at, at first, uh, they, they were terrified, the ones that couldn't dress themselves, that I was going to dress them. But, uh, but I didn't go that far with it. A few attempts at that went south. But, uh, but it was just it was, it was what, what the psalmist is talking about. Listen to this in, in Psalms 43, beginning in verse uh, 3. Chapter, I mean, Psalms 43, verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my what? Exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, that's an instrument, O God, my God. And I love this in five. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you, why are you in turmoil within me? Here's the psalmist talking to his soul going, don't you realize what we're about to do? Get up. Let's go. Why, why, why is there, why, I, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He had to get on to his soul for not coming along with it. Let's go. I mean, do you realize what we're doing? Don't be downcast. This is not, this is not uh, a burden for us to, to go on the, on the day of the Lord and walk into his house and give him worship. So let me ask you this, because I've been there. I, I done told you how I acted. Is that what your family sees? Is that what they see? Do they see you joyfully going into the house of the Lord? Or are you thinking to yourself, we got in late from the ball game. You know, uh, I mean, let's face it. I mean, you get out there on that water at the lake and you get tired. And, you know, we don't have to go to the church to be, you know, disciples. And we don't have to go worship. Uh, I love this. I mean, I worship, I worship the Lord just as much in that tree stand. I've been to the tree stands on some Sunday mornings. That's a bunch of hogwash. I mean, can I, do I sit there and pray? I do. Do I enjoy some time alone with the Lord? I do. But I just made an excuse to hunt one more day is what I'm really doing. That's so sanctimonious. I'll tell you where I'll meet the Lord. 
in that tree stand, it's not important to be in the house of the Lord and be in congregation with other people. I, got, I worship like some of my best days with the Lord's in that tree stand. I've been in a lot of tree stands. I've ne- it ain't never been my best days. You know why? Because I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to miss that deer coming. So I don't shut my eyes too long. I might miss something. Now, am I saying that I don't feel the presence of the Lord in the outdoors? No, I'm not saying that. Do I enjoy that? I do. Is hunting a problem for me now? It's really not. Was it at one time? Yes. It was in the wrong place. I loved it more than I loved God. And, uh, but, but is it that way now? It's not. Do I still enjoy it? Yes. If he took it away from me and said, no more would I care? Not for long. It just don't mean that much to me anymore. Sports don't mean that much to me anymore. I, I, I have to make myself watch a sporting event. I, well, that's not the way it used to be. And by the way, it has nothing to do with the political politics of the day. I just don't care about these things as much anymore because I've become so enamored with him. And he so exceeds any of this stuff. The stuff's fine. I got no problem with it. You know, would I still enjoy going hunting and going to a ball game and going to the beach and going to the lake? Sure. But does it mean as much to me as it once did? Not even close. And does getting into the house of worship on Sunday mean more to me than it than it did at one time? It ain't even close. I can't believe. I mean, I'm like. I never thought there'd be a day that unless it was impossible to get to the church that I belong to, that I'd be there. There's never a day that I just don't go. And I can't explain that. That's not who I am. It's not who I am. Uh, It's just, it'd be like you saying, don't you keep doing everything that brings you great joy. It's the opposite now. And I can see some heads in here nodding. There may be some out there. If you ever do miss, it's a detriment, isn't it? Your week's not the same. Your day's not the same. No matter how, how great whatever you're doing you think is, it really messes everything up, doesn't it? And I know you can still spend time with them. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to be legalistic about this. But I'm telling you, there's something, and we're going to hit this before we're done, there's something that God designed about coming into a place of worship and singing songs to him, and praising his holy name, and hearing his word being poured over you. There's just something special about that. And, uh, and, 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 and there's certainly time that we're also called to be in solitude and by ourselves. But you will see that there's an exceeding joy that if it's not in your life, if that exceeding joy is not in your life when you come into a place of worship, there's something wrong between your relationship and God. There's something wrong because he's too wonderful for that to be joyful to you. Something's wrong. And that is what the psalmist is saying. Now let's go to the book of Romans. Oh, the mighty, mighty book of Romans. We can never read Romans enough, can we? Um, So let's go to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And let's look what Paul is saying to this church uh, under great persecution in Rome and, uh, and Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Uh, here's what he says about worship to them. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, uh uh-oh, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Uh Uh-oh. I haven't done very well with this one. I've changed my attitude toward it because Scripture tends to do that. But I haven't done a real good job with this one. Um, I remember, and, uh, and, and, I, and it's sad that my wife is the one who had to say this on my benefit, uh, for my benefit. I'm sorry, on my behalf, I guess, for my benefit. So I have a friend that uh, really, really struggles with gluttony and obesity. Now, I'm not about to get into a holy BMI. And it's not all about overeating and, 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 and being unhealthy and being overweight. There's more to it than that. Uh, there, there's people that, that do not present them, their bodies as living sacrifices by sexual Im- impurity, uh, by taking drugs, by, by drunkenness, 
you know, there, there's there's other things. But this is what I always say because I look, I'm I'm I was raised a Southern Baptist, and there's one thing that you hear Southern Baptists say all the time. Well, you know, gluttony not just about overeating. Yeah, it's not just about that, but it is about that. <laughs> Scripture says our stomach should not be our God, and it says that we should we should eat to live, not live to eat. I mean, it does say that. We always like to say it's not just about that, and that's true, but it is about that. And I have struggled with this sin for a long time. It, it's almost like it's one of the last ones, and, and, I, and I thank God for his mercy. Thank you, Lord. When Bronner, my, my youngest son, when I, I had just lost some weight and because God had been convicted of this, and when Bronner died, our loving, gracious God literally came alongside me and said, we'll get back to that later. I'm gonna walk with you for a while right now, but we're gonna get back to it. And you know, once we got further down the road, and I'd put the weight back on and all that, God said, "Okay, I know you've been grieving. Know it's been hard, but we're gonna get back to it." And I, 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 I'm not there. I still, I still have days that I don't get this right, uh, but I'm working on it out of obedience, not out of legalism. I'm not going for some holy BMI or anything like that, because it doesn't exist. But we all know whether this is an area of our life that we're out of control in or not. We do know that. Nobody had to tell me that. I know that. And for me to come, I don't. I think God withheld themanchurch.com from me because I couldn't be trusted with it. And I'll tell you why. Because he knew that I was out of control in this area of my life. And he didn't want me to go stand up on some stage in front of men and try to lead men when they could look at my body and look at my life and say he has no credibility. He's not, he doesn't have control. And I'm not trying to keep my weight down and exercising more and eating healthier to extend my life. I want to be clear to you on that. I've read the scriptures. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. My, my death day is marked, and it was marked before I had ever breathed air when I was wove together in my mother's womb. Job said, there ain't a thing a man can do to add a second to his life. God said to Jeremiah, and your mother's womb, I already knew what I was going to do with you. I knew how long we were going to go. Psalms 139, 13 through 16 says, every day of my life, and the number of those days was written in your book before I'd ever lived one. Okay? I got that. I'm not doing this to extend my life. I'm doing it because God's convicted me and says, but wouldn't you like your life to be more effective? To make my life more effective. I got news for you. The, the, the schedule that I keep with all this, I better have the energy for it. And you know what? Since I've lost 50 pounds, I do have more energy for it. Am I still a guy that you look at and say, he's a little chubby. He's overweight. Yeah, probably. But I don't think I walk around like a man out of control anymore that's obese. And so when this person came up to my friend, who is, we've struggled, he said to my wife, what was it, because I know Rick has struggled with this as long as I have, what was it that Rick finally said, I'm losing the weight? And my wife, of course, you know, she does not mince words. She said when he called it sin. That's when. Until then, now you would think that I'd at least been a decent human being and said maybe my wife doesn't want to have a 305-pound husband. Maybe she's loyal to me, but maybe that's not what she preferred. And would I tolerate her being that fat? You would have thought that might have been a motivator. It wasn't. You would think a motivator, hey, my kids want to play another game of pickup basketball today, but dad's so fat he can't do it. You would think that would have been a motivator. Sadly, it wasn't. I remember literally saying, look at my wife. She's beautiful. Look at my job. I do great. What's my motivation? I'm embarrassed to tell you that, but I said that all the time. Why should I lose the weight? And God said, well, because it's sin. That's why. That's why. Would you not like to be more effective for the kingdom? Would you like to not have that mark against you? And I'll tell you this. 
during the days of us talking about it on the show and me being as fat as a cow and all this, you know what people said when I started acting like I was devoted to Jesus? I know you don't talk about gluttony a lot. When, when are you going to talk about gluttony? And I tried to pivot and, you know, oh, well, that's being legalistic and that, that's not just talking about food. Yeah, true, but it is talking about food. And, and I just justified it, justified it, justified it. Sorry, Lord, I repent of that. I, I, I apologize to all of y'all for being a leader in a place of leadership and giving you a bad example. I apologize to my children. I apologize to my wife because that was a justified place of sin in my life. I was not living my life with my body being sacrificial and worship to him. So I, re I repent of that again in front of you. And hold me accountable if you see me drifting back again. And keep encouraging me to continue. Because that's an area of my life that I need to keep in check under the authority of Christ. Now, I know we don't like to talk about that in church anymore, especially in Baptist churches, but it should be. It should be discussed because it's in the Scripture. So, next, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, and I've underlined this in my Bible, that by testing that you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Everything that we do, and I've got a few more scriptures to support this. Every, let me say it again. This is important. Everything we do according to God's word is an act of worship. Everything. And I think sometimes we think that only some things are worship. That's not what Scripture says. Turn over to the book of Colossians. Here is, here is Paul talking in Colossians. Uh, we will go to chapter 3, and let's look at verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17. And this really sums up what I just said. And whatever you do in word or deed, do what, some things? Does it say some things? A few things? Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through who? Jesus. Guys, is this hitting y'all? So everything is worship. Everything. And so what we have to do, and you say, well, Rick, what should I look at in my life to see if I'm in proper worship? Apparently everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything. And, and so, but look, but you don't have to fire hose it, you know. Take, 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 if, if, first thing to do is what I, I did, like I just told you one, is to assess my life. You don't have to spend a lot of time on the things you're doing right. That's great. Just pull up the list and say, all right, in my marriage, does that look like the proper worship? Okay. In my, what you're about to get to, in my work, does that look like proper worship? Okay. In my parenting, in my friendships, in my you know, just and just it just kind of go down the line, and so and, and of course we know that work is one of them because now look at Colossians three twenty three, this the, we we usually in this kitchen I'm pointing out here at the studio, I, I would say probably fifty percent of the time that we pray before we start the show this verse comes out. Why? Because we're at work. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. Is that the way you work? I mean, do you work, you go to work every day and say, today I go to work for the Lord. That's, that's my boss. Do you remember when you were, you remember talking to, anybody ever done children's ministry? And I remember the first time I heard it, Sherry and I used to do second graders, third graders, remember that term? Would you like to make Jesus the boss of your life? Do you remember we used that term? I don't know why we decided that was, that Lord was too scary, but, but, but they might not understand that. But boss, they understand. But really, that's what Paul's saying. Remember that Jesus is the boss. And he says, so whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You are serving the Lord. You're not serving men. I don't really like my boss. Too bad. Why don't you live a way that maybe the boss is Jesus? So that's not your boss anyway. If you're a disciple of Jesus, he's your boss. You know one of the things that makes me just nauseous 
I cannot stand for a man, and I know a lot of you women watch this too, or let's do it, or a woman of God that claims to be a disciple of Jesus and they have a terrible work ethic. They're lazy. Can't be depended on, can't be on time, can't get the job done. They're not disciples of Jesus. There are to be, like we do this commercial for LinkedIn.com or these places that go out and try to find employees for you. You know what? You are, I wish that, that, that we would work in such a way, those of us that claim to be disciples of Christ, that LinkedIn or any of those services says, all right, let's get your questions because you know what they do? They're screening questions so they can weed out people that wouldn't be a good candidate for you anyway. First question, ask them if they're a disciple of Jesus. Why are you asking that? Because I tell you what, they're horses. That's, that's what I want to hire. I don't even believe what they believe, but I sure would like to have them because every, every, everybody I talk to says those disciples of Jesus are the best workers they got. Is that what they get, though? To not work hard and to not have a work ethic and to not be excellent in your work is sin. Is sin. Because you have presented Jesus in a way to a dying world that is heretical. He's had so little impact on you and me that we, can, we don't even work well. We're lazy. We're not good providers. We don't, you know, it, it says that, and Paul tells Timothy, that tell men who are not good providers for their family that they're worse than a pagan. I mean, it, you, you know, you, you've seen this guy. He's sitting at his house. He, claim, he goes to church. He claims he's a man of God, claims he's a disciple. He can't keep a job. And every time you go to him and say, well, i got a job you could do, he's like, well, I'm holding that for the managerial position. While your wife is out there scrambling for money and you could be working somewhere for the love of all that's good and kind, work somewhere. You too proud? I remember this. I'll tell you this, man. And this, this is, some of y'all have heard this before. Some of y'all knew. You talk about a testimony from my earthly father on humility and this, this code. My, my daddy hadn't done everything right, but he did this one right. He coaches and wins the national championship at a university. Okay? had, had the, the, the most winningest time in the history of this football program. They go up a division, put you on probation, you're not in a conference, you're out there having to play, just anybody that'll play you for a few years, the records don't get as good as they were during the run, they fire him. So now you don't have a job. Do you know what he did? He went to work at Walmart in the very city where he won the national championship. Now, you name me one man that you know that would have that much success as a football coach that was humble enough to do that. But you know what he was going to do? He was going to bring some money in until all this contract stuff and his retirement got worked out. You know what most people say? I can't go down and work at Walmart. That's embarrassing. I, 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 was, on, I was on the calendars, and I, my name's going to be on the this, and I won the national championship, and I did all these, got all these trophies. These people don't need to see me at Walmart. My dad couldn't care less about that. He went to work at Walmart in the same city. He didn't even leave the city and go do it somewhere else so people wouldn't see him. And he went to work. He went to work. And how dare any man or woman claim to be a disciple of Jesus and not work like you're working for the Lord? And be sorry at your work. Can't be dependent on. That, that, that's, see, that's the wrong type of worship. That's not worship. Treat your work as worship. Be thankful he's placed you there. Why has he placed you there? To advance his kingdom. To have an impact. Believe it or not, where God's placed us in our vocation, here comes a shocker, it may not be about us. Oh my gosh. It may not be about us. It may not be about your happiness. It may not be about your fulfillment. It may not be about your, 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 uh, your pursuit of the next thing you've got to have forward and have. You know what it might be? I know this is a major concept. It may be that Jesus has put you there to be his disciple, to worship him and advance his kingdom and draw people to him. Who could imagine? That could be it. And let me tell you something. You can be as successful as you want to be. If you have an impact of the kingdom of God with what you do for a living, then you know what? You're in sin. Because you didn't know why you were sent there. It took me a long time to know why I was here. 
You know why I enjoy my work now more than ever is I know why I'm here. I know why I'm here. And when he thinks I've done everything he wants me to do, he'll probably move on and he'll put me on something else. I won't retire, I'll tell you that. As long as I can mentally and physically work, I'm going to work. Retirement is not a biblical concept. Now, I'm not saying you keep doing the same vocation you've always done. You may change vocations. He just puts you to work somewhere else. Yeah. You know, that, and you get excited about what he's going to do next. But let me tell you what you don't do. You don't go knock it out of gear and go home and watch TV. You don't do that. You continue to work. And then back to the one that I've already said. We know in uh, Paul's letter, uh, letter to Corinth, he says what? Eating and drinking. Back to what I was talking about a minute ago with my struggles. I mean, 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says that, we, that actually eating and drinking is a, is, a, is a form of worship. Eating and drinking? Yeah. That means if someone sees you acting like a glutton, probably not a good form of worship. Somebody sees you being a drunk, probably not a good, good form of worship. But he says even by the way that you eat and drink and the way that you, 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 you treat your body and keep it disciplined, that is a form of worship. And that's an area of worship that I haven't done very well in, the eating part. But, it, but how about this? It's not something that I continue to justify. Somebody say amen to that. I mean, you may still have a struggle. Just stop justifying it. Get serious about it. Care about it. And you know what? God will give us what we need to, 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 to move anything out of our life that shouldn't be there. So the next thing, and we'll close with this, we are called to worship together. I ain't got to go to church. Uh, how about this? If you're not going into corporate worship, you are in sin, according to Scripture. Corporate worship is part of the life of the disciple of Jesus, period. That's not legalism. That's obedience. Listen to what Paul says back uh, to, to Colossians again in chapter 3, 14 through 17. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He just talked about all the things, remember the fruits of the Spirit. He just talked about the fruits of the Spirit. And now in 14, he says, But above all these fruits, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. The church universal. One body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, how are you going to admonish me if I never get in your presence? If I'm not spending time with you? If I'm not working it out with you? Okay, and then he says, singing psalms, sound familiar, and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And we've already talked about 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. This scene that Paul's laying out is the scene of the church universal in worship together, singing, praising God, and holding each other accountable. You know how you can't hold me accountable? is if you don't ever see me. You know how you can't hold me accountable? If I won't let you invest in my life. I may not give you permission. I had a meeting with a guy yesterday. We were going to talk about some hard things. I said, before we get started, do I have permission to speak into your life? And he said, I don't think I would have come today if I wasn't going to give you that permission. I said, well, good, because that would have been a terrible waste of both your time and mine. I said, so we got to unpack some stuff in here today. And he says, I know you know some things that are going on. I said, I do. And I said, so I don't have to pretend like I don't know those. He said, no, I, I know there's been some contact, and, um, and, and let's go. And you know what? It went great. Because he had, he had enough courage to say, I need to be in the church universal. I need to be, I need, you know what he said? Gosh, don't we hear this? Which is one of the reasons why we've tried to do this thing with men's ministry. So women, just kind of, just give me this moment. I, how many times do you hear it? You know what he said? I don't have any men in my life. You know, men don't do, they're men not really good at making friends. I remember the first time we started this Bible study on, uh, Bible study on Wednesday. Men kept coming afterwards. I don't have any friends. I don't have any friends. I, don't have any friends. I said, have you looked around in here? What about the men in this room? We're just not very good at it. We don't really know how to do it real well. And, uh, and so he said, I need to have men of God speaking into my life. I don't have that. And I said, well, today that changes. But, but credit to him, he, he acknowledged it, and he did something about it. And, and now, we'll, you know what? He's not walking by himself. 
He's walking with the church universal. He's walking with his brothers. He's walking with his sisters. But there's certain things he needs to talk to men about. And, you know, his wife's talking to the women of the church, and then the couples, we talk with them together. What a concept. So another thing is, what did we see that Jesus did when he sent out the disciples? When he started splitting them up, what did he do? Did he ever send one by himself? Never. He sent them out in twos. Hey, somebody needs to go with you. So that's an example that we saw, right? And then, of course, the writer of Hebrews really comes down on us about this thought of not being involved in corporate worship. And, uh, and this, is, this is a bit of a, of, of a hard-hitting verse, and, and you hear people reference it a lot in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, uh, verses uh, 20 through 25. I'm sorry, 24 and 25. And this one, the writer of Hebrews is talking about that there had been, apparently, uh, this concept of people not getting together and worshiping, and, uh, and, and, and the writer of Hebrews doesn't like that. So in verse 24 in chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Rick, you don't earn your salvation. Nobody say that. But this thing of, he says that we're redeemed for what? For good works. Ephesians says that. Even where we learn the by grace through faith, that no man can boast. But it says this has taken place in our life for what? To produce good works. You know, James says I, you, they kind of go hand in hand. You don't, you're not earning salvation, but it's the result of salvation. So the writer of Hebrews says, now how can, we, how can you produce good works if you're not stirring each other up, if you're not encouraging each other, if you're not motivating each other? And then here comes the one that we've heard a lot, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, and we know what the day is, the return of Jesus, somebody say amen, drawing near. So the writer of Hebrews says, I don't know who's telling y'all that you don't need to be getting together, but don't listen to them. And you know what? You'll never experience this on Zoom. There it is, I said it. Let's just get it out there. I'm not talking about someone who's mentally or physically homebound. That's not what I'm talking about. Praise God that we've had ways through cassette tapes and whatever to get the message to people that can't physically or mentally get there. I'm not talking about that. But if you can physically and mentally be in corporate worship and you're choosing not to, and you're sitting there saying, well, I just sit here and watch it online, I'd check that again. You can get a message online. You, you, you may even hear some people singing songs online. You might even stand up in your living room and sing a few. But let me tell you what won't happen on Zoom. You won't be able to stir one another up to love and good works. You won't be able to encourage one another and you won't continue to grow together corporately getting ready for the return of the Lord. You don't have accountability. You don't have encouragement. You, you don't have any of that. And, uh, and, 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 I'm, and I don't want to hear some of you say, I don't go to church because a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, let me tell you something. Every single person at church has already said, whether they know it or not, I'm so worthless that I'm here seeking God's grace because without it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be killed and be dead and go to hell. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. You don't go to church because of what other people do. You go to church because of who God is. You just, you, yes, you said, you're just pivoting and making an excuse because you, of something that you don't have a desire for. Because if you had a desire for it, you really wouldn't care what was going on with all the people at the church. You'd be there to focus on God. And then you'd get involved with people and you'd invest in people. And you know what? It's impossible for you to have more than five, six friends anyway. You can't be... You can be an acquaintance with more people than that, but you can't be friends with more than five, six people. There's not enough time. There's not enough time. So if, if you think there's not a church out there that you can't get in a, in a corporate worship with and then in a small group with some people that can, that can be used by God to help you, you're delusional, and you're just making excuses. And as we've said in this study, this is another marker of a true disciple of God because a true disciple of Christ desires to worship. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. Uh, thank you for these very convicting words. Thank you for also the encouragement of these words and the reminder of who you are and how wonderful it is to, to worship you. Lord, there may be people right now that are watching this, listening to this, or maybe even in the room that say, I really don't have a desire to worship God. Maybe that's why we're all here today. Uh, 
all of us are assessing this, but there may be people that say, you know, I'm just being honest. I don't have that desire. Well, that could be because they don't know you, Lord, because to know you is to worship you. And I pray right now you draw them to you. I pray you reveal yourself to them. I pray you just break them down, Lord. And if you're here and you're watching this and listening to this and you're saying, you know, I don't have that desire, so right now I repent of that sin. Uh, I want to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. I, I want to be brought by Jesus into the presence of a holy God so that I will be in awe and I will worship. I, I got to change something about my situation today. Well, if you're sincere and you want to change and you repent and you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord, then he will change you. He really is that powerful. If I can help you in any way, you, you reach out to me, rick at rickandbubba.com. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you, Lord willing, next week.